Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, I welcome you to yet another episode of the Ugandan podcast. My name is Brandy Azirwe Valentine, and you know right here we discuss government programs, policies and projects just to enlighten you and bring you into the way we run things and uh, just the basic stories of how to do better as a government with the people, for the people and so much more and so much forth. Of course, today we have an amazing guest. You, you already know who. Okay, you don't. Let me introduce her. We have uh, Mrs. Geraldine Salib Busulwa. She is the Permanent Secretary for the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Cooperatives. And uh, she is here and she's going to talk about digital transformation in trade and industry and so much more. Financial literacy, gold, Ubu by Uganda, build Uganda. But before I break into it, I just want to welcome you. Welcome, Sheridan, to the Ugandan podcast. Thank you very much for having me on the Ugandan podcast. Yes. Nice to be here. Yes. Please introduce yourself. Okay, so my name is Geraldine Salibusulwa. I'm the permanent secretary for the Ministry of Trade, Industry and Cooperatives. And for our Uganda viewers, Omwandiso in Kalakalida. Muchitongole echa subuzi, echa makolelo, nevitongole vio wegas. You see, you're actually excellent in all languages. Huh? Yes, I am. We're going to move. My mother tongue. Yeah. Yes. Good to know. What what did she? Chimane did she man di muzukuluwa mugema. Hello. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um I know you have uh, done so many great things for this country in and out. Thank you. That we shall get into as we move on. But for now, can we we shall get into the discussion. And I want to start by welcoming you from the Buy Uganda Build Uganda Expo that we had a few weeks ago. How did that go? Actually, it went well. Yeah. yeah. The Bubu Expo Buy Uganda Build Uganda. This uh, program was birthed in 2019, just before we went into lockdown. Yeah. And uh, the time when it was launched, it was a very successful event. Yeah. It was launched by the former Minister of Trade, Mrs. Amelia Chambade. Yes. And uh, it is the whole program of trying to promote Ugandan uh, production of goods and services and uh, making sure that Uganda comes first in all our markets. Yeah. And then to promote, of course, um, local MSMEs. So the lockdown affected the program. Because obviously nothing was happening in terms of gatherings and SOPs. Yes. But um, in the recognition of rebuilding our economy, we thought we would now just pick it up. And uh, we did a very successful event in Kololo. Yes. And we were promoting very many uh, small-scale industries as well as, well as the big ones. Yeah. So we had people right from producing steel all the way down to people who are producing uh, medicines, herbals, and, and food uh, Food and, and artisans. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it is a very good way to showcase uh, what Uganda has to offer on the market and even the quality of our products has improved since then, yeah. which increases the sellability. Yes. So it, it's a real thing that we have to continue doing year on year. Yeah. And I'm hoping that it will grow in terms of showcasing Ugandan production. Yeah. I, I the agree. The Ugandanization of our industries. That is a nice one. The yes. Ugandanization yes, of, of our, our industry. Of yes. our industry. Yeah, that's true. And I, I'm also glad. I remember I was following it and I saw you were dressed in African print and right. you, sh you showed up in style for the, for the cause. Thank so you. well done. 
I was dressed in actually Ugandan, purely Ugandan attire, head to toe. Uh huh. Yes, please. Now you have something to look for on Instagram. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we get into the next question. By the way, the other thing which I wanted to say is that seventy percent of our local production is by MSMEs. You know the mic, the small and medium enterprises. Yeah. Yeah. So they contribute a lot, about thirty thirty eight percent of our GDP. So they are big. Yeah. And then that means that we actually have to promote them into cash economies and make some money. That's true. Yes. I think I we we actually totally agree because uh, we had the whole innovation powerhouse uh, campaign running and we were promoting innovations because we also realized at the Ministry of ICT and National Guidance that. When you start small, you're able to do, be efficient and also add to the economy because they're already contributing 38%. It is just the perfect way to go because when you have technology and innovations, it actually reduces cost of doing business. Yes. So most people haven't discovered the trick that actually sometimes when you automate your systems from the beginning, you save a lot of downtime in terms of uh, improving your efficiencies in, in a business yeah. and you give your business a chance to survive <laughs> once it has IT and it has um, reduced costs of production, especially when you've automated, even however small it is when you have softwares. I'll give an example of someone who makes cakes. Yes. If they had a software that actually reminds uh, the, the people selling cakes about uh, birthdays, weddings, and all those and anniversaries, yes. they would actually be sending automatic messages to their customers. Yeah. And you don't have to make the phone call. And it's cheaper, it's faster, it's automatic. Yeah. So you it places the orders and customers can actually come in. Now, all these are ideas people come in with. You can actually incorporate them in your business from the beginning. Yes. If it's a standard software, you don't even need to actually uh, do concept costs and, and everything else. You just buy it off the shelf. Yeah. It's cheaper for you. Yes. Yeah. If, so we just have to, it's a mindset change, really. We are there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Community <laughs> mobilization and mindset change. Exactly. And uh, so you talked about digital transformation in uh, business and which brings us to the next question. We have a whole conversation going on. Uh, it's NFTs, Bitcoin, they've become a point of dialogue. And uh, what is your take on it as a, uh, our leader in uh, the department of trade. Trade. Yeah. <laughs> Do we should we trade with Bitcoin? Oh, and, you know what? And buy um, NFTs and stuff. Yes. Uh, two, two. It's it's got two sides to it. Yes. If you're a risk taker, people who are risk takers and hungry for risk, uh, some others are risk averse. So if you are a risk taker, you go for it. If it pays off, well and good. Yeah. It pays big time. If it yeah. doesn't, uh, you know, you lose. However, uh, the Bank of Uganda has not yet got itself into regulating. Uh, Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies and NFTs yeah. uh, because obviously the regulator has got to study certain trends. Yes. Now, alternative forms of payment like Bitcoin are a world phenomenon that is actually catching fire, especially in, uh, in Western Europe and as, as well as uh, in America and other countries like China. Yeah. So for them, they've actually adopted that uh, way of transacting. These are alternative forms of payment apart from the traditional currency. Yeah. It has its advantages and disadvantages. Yes. I mean, like, for example, when we're COVID, there was a lot of COVID just moving on hard currency. Yeah, yeah. And people were actually getting infections from hard currency. So there needed to be an opportunity to innovate yeah. the means of, alternative means of transacting. And uh, people now resorted to uh, mobile money first, but some of them didn't like the cost of transacting on mobile money. And of course, there's a lot of frauds. And people were susceptible to these frauds. 
But um, inevitably, for example, the telecoms industry, long ago, like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you'd had to uh, send someone to send a message to Masaka. Yes. But today, you, uh, or, or, and then uh, they brought pay phones. They had to place a very big box in the middle of uh, Masaka town for you to make a phone call. You put in coins. Yes. But right now, that was rendered obsolete because people walk past it and you just use your mobile phone to make a phone call. So inevitably, the same thing is going to happen to cash. Technology is going to leave the economy of hard currency behind. So the regulator will have no choice but to move in with the alternative forms of payment. They may drag their feet for the next one or two years, mm. but it won't be long before they realize that the world is moving. So they will actually also have to jump on board and start regulating some of these currencies inevitably. Mm. Technology happens in every industry and you cannot hold the one of currency. Other, other countries have adopted it and they're using it, but we just have to study the trends and mitigate the risks because everything in life has risks. True. Yeah. I agree. One or two years, as you drag your feet, we shall still be moving. <laughs> People, the world is going to inevitably move. Yeah, and I'm glad we uh, catch, We try as a country to see the, the what we can do. The thing is that the government has got a duty somehow to educate and sensitize people about it. Yes. Yes. So right now, I'm sure... The people who are supposed to be regulating are either understanding the economies that are using it, studying the trends, studying how it works so that they can actually build the policies and uh, regulations around it. Okay. Yeah, because you cannot regulate something you don't understand. True. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I feel like we have covered this somehow, but let's move. Kindly share on the matter of financial literacy as a person on digital currency. Digital currency is wide now. Yes. You can start by breaking it down for us. No, digital currency is wide. And um, I just remember one time in Canada when it had just started yeah. catching on. Uh, one of the people who invested in that company and was inviting customers actually died and died with the keys <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of the currency. So people were stuck. Everybody who had invested in there was stuck. So there's this key man risk. Now there's so many risks involved both on the service provider side yeah. and on the side of people who are actually looking to invest in cryptocurrency. There's a lot of education that needs to be done because there's sub suspicion on either side. Yes. So the people who can say, isn't this a pyramid scheme? Mm. But if it's not a pyramid scheme, what is it? I mean, this money that just disappears. And because uh, in our tradition and our cultures, traditionally you want to touch money mm. and be able to keep it somewhere in a mattress. But yeah. a cryptocurrency, you cannot... So people are always suspicious about, you know, but supposing I wake up and it's disappeared. I mean, am I rich or not? Am I going to go to the am market I, and yeah. say, I'm going to pay you using some yeah, currency exactly. I have somewhere. And then the service provider is wondering, you know, is, are these systems working? Are the databases for uh, my customers working? Because before I know it, the host has somehow done something in the back end, yeah. which makes me lose money. Mm. And before I know it, I'll be a, a virtual bank that's closing. Yeah. So um, the sensitization is very important. But the people who must take the lead uh, is, is government because ultimately they are, they, are, they, are, they are regulators of any alternative forms of payment. Mm. And uh, so far, Bank of Uganda has issued a lot of uh, adverts about we are not regulating cryptocurrency, deal with it at your own risk. Yeah. But as I said, that is not going to last long because the world is actually going to find you and move True. and leave you behind. Mm -hmm. yes, now we are in motion. Mm -hmm. And as we move, the price of commodities has become a whole situation. In Kampala City just here, 
a mini survey was conducted on commodities in five divisions and it showed that items such as washing soap, Irish potatoes, maize flour, cooking oil, fuel, and matoke have more, the price has more than doubled or around there since January. What is kindly going on and how can we fix it? You know what? Um, it's very simple. We had our own inflation yeah. uh, as a country. This inflation really came out of the, you know, COVID costs where companies were not necessarily uh, trading in your traditional way of, and some of them had not even switched on into new forms of doing business like e-commerce and all. And uh, some of them had employees stuck at home, you know, some of them had not engineered themselves to provide services at home. Banks sort of jumped on because they had provide, to provide peripherals for their staff to work at home. So very many industries had to re-engineer the way they work, especially if they were brick and mortar uh, based. But now we realize you can actually do business uh, virtually and still sustain production or, of goods and services. Yes. So while businesses are re-engineering themselves, the risk now found us into a war between China, uh, sorry, uh, Ukraine and Russia. Russia. So at the, at the very beginning, people were just watching uh, the movie. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a war somewhere. They didn't yeah. realize how it would actually impact on every single economy in the world. Yeah. One of the things that um, the basic commodities, we have soap, as you've said, and uh, cooking oil and all those things, the basic ingredients uh, into their production is really cod palm oil. And the biggest producers of cod palm oil, uh, which is now used in soap, used in cooking oil, uh, Indonesia and Malaysia, because mm -hmm. between them, they produce about 84% of cod palm oil supply in the whole world. Maybe Brazil does the rest, ma ma a bit of it. So that dependency affected input, material input costs for every single person in the world. And... Uh, Indonesia and Malaysia started hoarding because they realized that now even China had increased demand of cod palm oil. Mm. And you know, China is a very big population. Oh, yeah. Yes. So when they did that, the whole world now suffered surplus of cod palm oil. And uh, we, are, we are a very big net export importer of cod palm oil. So the only small production, which is uh, supposed to be from Kalangala, is only still work in progress. And uh, that dependency caused prices to hike because of short supply of that basic ingredient. That coupled with failure to get in bankers through the Indian Ocean to come and, and bring uh, fuel. Because Russia, again, is one of the biggest producers of fuel. And not only that, there was also a problem of uh, flight diversion. Because most of these things come in by flight. There were no flights flying over the Russian and Ukrainian airspace coming all, bringing in all these things. So when, when the plane started taking a longer route, it increased the cost of the logistics bringing these, the small quantities of cold palm oil in. So all that coupled together just increased the prices. So by about January, we had about 3.7% inflation uh, this year. But by the time we finished uh, at April, we had about 4.7% inflation. So all that is, just, is what is actually making, but it's artificial because the war is a temporary phenomenon. 
But what that does, like COVID, it gave us the opportunity to start doing our own production of these basic ingredients. Okay, that's the plus side. Yeah, that is the plus side. So uh, now that is also an opportunity for Uganda to boost our um, import substitution strategy on industrialization. Mm -hmm. So we are now saying that why don't we actually produce our own own cod palm oil? Mm -hmm. And uh, that is why... The government is now looking at areas like Sango Bay, in addition to Kalangala, yes. to now start producing cod palm oil. And this Sango Bay is an area south uh, near Motukula. Uh, over 2,000 acres have been condoned off to actually just produce cod palm oil. So uh, that program is actually standing. Uh, they launched a market which would be used to actually do the trading of that cod palm oil. So now these are long-term uh, strategies that government is undertaking. And even then, that would even help uh, uh, for us in the region to stabilize those basic ingredients for for production. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah, I agree. That's good. <laughs> so the prices are high for now, but we are going to be better. Yeah. Is that a promise you're making? It has to get better because, I mean, Russia cannot fight forever. Yeah. Ukraine, I mean, how long can you hit Ukraine anyway? Eventually, there'll be the, the only thing hit. is that uh, Russia is benefiting from the war because obviously the prices of its uh, fuel goes up because of the artificial hoarding. Uh, everybody's, you know, fuel goes up. Everything goes up. Yeah. And uh, there's artificial hoarding and uh, imported inflation everywhere. So all this, uh, for them, it's a plus on their side because they are making money. Yeah. But you cannot, it's not sustainable. Yes. And uh, the war has to, to come to an end at some point at which point the world will then stabilize, but we will have had our lessons learned. Okay. That brings me to the next question. You, so you talked about the import substitution strategy. How do we monetize? So people have been coming up with apps li- left and right and also making innovations everywhere. Like we are literally in the middle of this. How do we monetize apps and innovations for short term and long term so that we are able to be able to make money just the way different people in different countries have been doing this. You know what? The biggest challenge we have right now as a government is uh, the need to do patents for all our innovators. Mm. So therefore we have to put something in place to patent their innovations and to make sure that they actually benefit from the technology and uh, encourage that kind of service uh, production. If someone developed an app today, it's, if it's not patented, the next person is actually going to steal the idea and bring it to market very quickly, by which point someone is actually, by the time they get any resources to help them uh, even come into production before they patent, it's gone. Yes. So you've, you have people who are not benefiting from innovation. Yes. But if we had a patenting act or something to do with protecting intellectual property, yes officially, that would encourage people to actually innovate and then benefit from their um, innovations, their innovations and, and bringing ideas. But all is not lost. Yeah. In Uganda, it's a very vibrant community of innovators. We have got government programs like, for example, EGP. Yes. I'm very proud to actually say Ministry of Trade also jumped onto the e-government procurement system. Yes. And uh, well it was done. done by Ugandans. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So it's a Buy Uganda, Build Uganda program and uh, government is on it and it's a very user-friendly interface. All they now need to do is to just buy cloud space for, buy, uh, for uh, uploading the big documents. But even then, at least they, 
the alternative is there for the manual big documents that cannot be uh, uploaded. But the system is very good. It's working. And that's just a good, one good example. Yes. But there are so many other innovations. You see innovation villages in Tinder. And the, the whole innovation uh, community is very vibrant. Yes. And we must encourage them. So even this thing of uh, buy Ugandan, build Ugandan promotion of goods, it's not only goods. We're also providing and I'm sorry, promoting uh, services like IT services mm. yes. okay. within the East African region and, uh, and beyond. Mm. Yeah. The submissions are really great. They must miss you at the Queen Chambers where you used to work. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do. Yeah, actually, for, for, for just uh, um, commercial break purposes, what were you doing for the, at the Queen's? I, I, had, I know you were working for the Queen. What were you doing? Yes. No, I, I was actually uh, the head of the Directorate Management Unit on Corporate Services. Eish. Yes, and I was working just below the director level. Mm-hmm. I was a very uh, big on diversity because I was working for them on uh, black African yes. woman. Yeah. So on diversity as in gender, I was getting a tick for that. Yeah. And then as black African trained from yeah. Uganda. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm a young mother. So I feel I ticked so many boxes for them. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, that I earned uh, a very high position yes. where I was actually heading a directorate unit. Yes. Yes. And sometimes we'd get invited to the Queen's birthdays and it was one of the best things. And also walking past the church rooms every morning going to work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the closest I have been to Queen Elizabeth is my TV. So, in fact, now that you're here, this is another. Actually, up. for me, the highlight was that one time the Pope was given a chance to come and into the drum yes. of, of the treasury. Because the treasury is like a small postcode on itself. It's like a small country. Yes. Yeah, the building is so massive and it covers a very large postcode. Yeah. So the, the Pope was given a chance to come and uh, turn in the quadrum of the whole building. And I got a chance to see him. Yes. And it was restricted, but at least, you know, I was there. So for me, it meant a lot. I'm Catholic. Yeah. And uh, it was the best thing that happened to me. And also watching the church rooms every day. Yeah. And going okay. there and sitting in. Okay, okay. Yeah. Now, now, now my goals have changed. But <laughs> it was a big privilege. Yeah, I'm yes. so honored to actually be in your presence. Now I can share a bit of that with you. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, there's so many brands in this country. Some, I want, I was not going to say them because I'm giving them promotion for nothing. Mm. But well, there are brands like Nike, Adidas, they all started as startups. And now they are big brands doing big stuff for different people. So how do we move startups, because in our country, to the market, to big markets, to trade on global levels and yes. do so much more? And to do so much more, actually. I always give an example of uh, Max and Spencer. Mm-hmm. It was a small market stall in Peckham. Yeah. Peckham is like the rundown place of, his, of London. Yeah. But uh, these two people actually started uh, Max and Spencer as a small market stall. Yes. And they grew and, uh, you know, they got small credit facilities and they kept growing. And now they're actually a global brand. Yeah. We have the potential because we have a lot of resources, untapped resources. So in Uganda, what we need to do first thing, like, for example, in Ministry of Trade, improve our quality, the quality of our production, both goods and services. Okay. Because once you have improved the quality, it's, it's, you know, it's the best starting point. That means that it, your items are sellable. Yeah. Now, once you've improved the quality, then you can actually improve on packaging. Okay. Now, if we are to transcend markets beyond Uganda, in, uh, in trade, we actually promote, you know, the East African community. So we actually do trade agreements. Yeah. So these trade agreements are 
templates unsigned and agreed between countries on both East African region. We have Comesa region. We have a AFCFTA, okay. which is the African Free Trade Area. Mm -hmm. But um, what it is is that people are not using these um, routes as such because they don't know. Yeah. They don't know what to do in order to use these uh, routes of trade. Okay. So what is now happening? That in, is combined with we are actually chasing for a barcode for Uganda. Yeah. What the barcode does for our Ugandan products is that it, it improves traceability of our products and it also improves the quality traceability of our products. So once a, you get an international barcode for a product, when it is scanned, for example, in Egypt or even in London, like fruits and veg, yeah. it will give you the country of origin and the quality, even expiry dates or anything like it tells you about the product yeah. because people want to know and yes. it improves the, you know, that kind of information and it's readily available and it's soft copy. Yeah. So when we do things like this as government, we are actually helping promote export. Now, packaging. I give an example of these ladies working up in north on shea butter. Yes. They actually put compress their shea butter and then put it in mineral water bottles for sale. Mm. Which means that packaging industry has a lot of work to do. Yes. To improve competitiveness of our products on the shelves and also our services, the way we package them. These are some of the things I think that um, government can do to improve import substitution strategy. So we have the products, we have the services. We just need to, first of all, protect them, yeah. that they're ours, and we give them certificates of origin from Uganda yeah. by barcoding them. Yeah. When you barcode, it gives an electronic certificate of origin. Yes. Say by Uganda, so you know it's 70% coming from Uganda or 80%. It even gives you the percentage content of a product. Oh, yeah. So it gives your collaborator room exactly. to also... Uh, yeah. And then it will even tell you if other uh, raw materials we have got from Kenya or any other country, it will tell you that this product is 70% Uganda, 30% Kenyan. Yes. Yes. So say, for example, if we get rice from uh, Tanzania, yeah. and we package it, it will show you that this rice actually came in from Tanzania. Yeah. But because we processed it a little bit in Uganda, we added the ABCDE to it, it will tell you 10% Uganda. Okay. That is the kind of information. So when we do this at an international scale, we are actually promoting our small local industries to grow. Yeah. And uh, that is now, we also have a duty to, to provide a collaborative and enabling environment. You as ICT people now, mm. we need you to uh, make it easy to trace goods and services right from the factory. So you create the IT and IS platforms for production yeah. right from the factories. Yes. If you provide some of these platforms, people can actually buy cheap because it's locally made by Ugandans. Yes. And then uh, cost of doing business is easy and ease of doing business is easy. So as government, we make it easy when we have one-stop border posts, for example, and we increase our touch points on each part of uh, the geographical boundaries of Uganda. Yeah. If people want to trade with Sudan, Zaire, Congo, and uh, Rwanda, all the way to Kenya, if we improve our touch points, airports, lake ports, we have the technologies at each and every single Water one of ports, those points. Yeah. Yes. It makes it easy when it's all uh, digitalized and it's all this is a smart trade agenda, yeah. which we have. Yeah. So it improves uh, cost of doing business and ease of doing business. Those two indices are very important for us to actually trace as government. Yeah. So those are some of the things that we are doing. 
to improve trade. Yes. Yes. And by the way, this is regional. So the collaboration is regional so that we can actually have compatibility of systems, both soft and hard systems. Okay. Yes. No more. Yeah. And you see the beauty of working in, uh, uh, in the regional planning and execution is you reduce the silos. Exactly. Yes. And by the way, last week I was in Kenya for just a day. Ooh. And since they had already started on the smart trade agenda, yes, I didn't have any intention of going out to look and buy new softwares yes. because they had already piloted and they were even learning out of their learning curve. They had reduced the cost of those softwares. So for me, all I need to do is to just plug in yes. as a country and get the softwares on board. So I'm going to really be in this. You should, you should get me an office in ICT. We are rooting for you <laughs> when the PS watches this show, create some space. Yeah, you should because I intend to do a lot of work with uh, digitalization. I've written her a lot of uh, letters. Yeah. She's, she's actually, I think she's now really had enough for me. She's like, you are a priority yes. on, on my uh, budget. So don't worry, I'm coming. Mm. And uh, for me, that, you know, that is where it all comes in. Because once uh, we've plugged in and it's all standard, then we just go. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was excited when I told her you were coming onto the podcast. So I think she'll be listening in in time soon. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite sport, and what team do you support? No, no, no. We're fighting gender norms here. I used to do. I used to, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I used to do a lot of badminton. Yeah. Ooh, that's, and, that's good. Uh, and, and table tennis. Mm. But when I grew up. Mm. I just sort of walk and I don't do football and all that kind of thing. I'm not exactly athletic. Yes. And I don't support any football teams, but I'm happy for the people who support Arsenal. Oh my God, let's not do it. <laughs> Champion Whenever League says hi. I feel good for them. When they lose, I cry with them. So but you, I'm not uh, so much into. So you cried with them when they didn't make it to Champions League? Yeah, well, I cry with them because my, my father gets depressed when... <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal loses. <laughs> you and Samson Kasumba are now in the same WhatsApp. <laughs> I bought him an Arsenal t-shirt from yeah. London and he refused to wear it because he said, my dad, yes. and it had Gisali at the back. Yes. And when I bought him the t-shirt, he said, no, if I wear it, people will laugh at me when we lose. So yeah. I just keep it somewhere yeah. just in case we win. Then I wear it a uh, small time and then leave it. But even a cup and uh, a scarf. You will survive. You will survive. <laughs> My dad supports Chelsea. He's half his car is Chelsea. So when they lose, he's he trying to look. He's trying to look for other means of transport. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, getting back yeah. to the podcast, gold in Uganda. Gold. Gold. Where are we mining it? What is its value? And how does it even affect the trade industry and cooperative sector? Gold sector in Uganda, believe it or not, is big. Mm. Yes. On the scale of one to ten. It's actually very big. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But people are not fully aware because, you know, we, we don't really understand the sensitivities around it. And uh, it's a precious metal. Mm. So it's heavily guarded. Mm. Excuse me. But I can tell you that um, in Uganda, at least uh, Ministry of Energy produced a status report on gold. Mm. That is uh, in February 2021. and. Uh, they have about 1 million ounces being produced in Mushonga. Okay. Mushonga is in Busheni. Yes, they count, it, they count gold in, in ounces. Oh, yeah. And then uh, another place which is almost half of that production, uh, about 500,000, 500, is in a place called Kampono. Mm. And also that's in Ivanda. 
Oh, that is in the western part of Uganda. So my neighbors. Yes, yes. I need to get sitting serious. on gold and you don't even I need know. to be serious. Carry on. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> but because it's not processed, uh, yeah. the processes, you know, are rudimentary on how they get it, but uh, it, it actually occurs in so many other places. And there's even Buhweju. There's Bushenyi, Ibanda, Rubirizi, Mitoma, all those places. Yeah, Mitoma. Mitoma has gold. And people actually go and pick that gold. Okay. Now, we also have a lot of gold refinery points yeah. within Uganda. Yeah. So other people also, like you will see a lot of gold coming in as well as it, like import. Yeah. Because there's a business of refining gold in Uganda. Or getting it's, it ready for sale. Yes. And for use. There's, yeah, like refinery. It's like how you actually bring your clothes to a dry cleaner. Mm. And they, dry, they wash them for you and bring them back. So Uganda also has, provides that service. So there's some gold that comes into the country to be refined and then is taken out. Okay. So all that looks like an import-export business, but it's also in addition to our existing domestic gold business. Okay. And um, I think there's a need to also mainstream it into government uh, because right now there's a lot of unofficial artisans, uh, sorry, uh, unofficial miners. Yeah. Because it's very rudimentary. It's a very rudimentary um, business. Yeah. But, you know, I was also very shocked. Now, even Kabale has gold. Now I'm 10% of that gold <laughs> comes from Kabale. <laughs> My, I come, like, from right next to Kabale. Yes. And we have been doing iron ore. No, no. <laughs> I, no, no, no. But so yeah. Uganda's gold production, let me tell you. Yeah. So half of it now comes from a place called Chelima Valley. Yes. In, uh, in, in uh, Kabale. Yes. Then we have Mubende, Mutiana, mm. Kasanda, Chivoga, and all the other, you know, the mineralization agenda is very big. So we have two big mining leases of gold in Uganda yes. and 38 uh, location licenses, all given out yeah. for gold. Imagine 38 location licenses. Now, some of those places are like uh, Kabong, yeah. Kopoth, Layoro. Do you know that? Kalapata. Yeah. Some of these places I've never even heard of them myself. But when I read, I was like thinking, this is amazing. Yes. Mamoru, Kangpeth, Morelem, Sokodu, Kotome. You know, so all these places are actually in Uganda and they are, they are actually mining gold. Yeah. But the most important thing is um, this gold can actually be used. In other countries, they use it as gold reserves. Yes. And uh, actually England, they have some of the biggest gold reserves they have in there came from Africa. I'm sorry, I watched, uh, there's this series I'm watching and the, the robbers attacked the part with the gold reserve, uh, the gold yes. reserve and it yes. was crazy, but yeah. These people actually, most of the gold came from Africa, both uh, West Africa and, and even the Queens, uh, and I, you know, I'm sorry, Queen, but her, her uh, gold reserve and the private use in the palace and her, everything there came from West Africa. Yeah. So Africa um, to the world. Yes. Yeah, so we, we, are, we are naturally gifted with all these resources. But what is most important, the, the statistics that are very important for this discussion. Yes. So Uganda exports right now around 3.4 uh, billion US dollars worth of gold. That's 2020 alone. 3.47 billion worth of gold. So it makes it the 28th uh, largest exporter of gold in the world. Are you saying yes, I'm, I'm serious about this. So, and in the same year, uh, it was the first uh, most exported uh, item in Uganda, yeah. both yeah. Yeah, on the list of exports. Yeah. Yes. So, so the main destination really, as you could expect, it's UAE. Yes. Yeah, they love gold. It's China, it's Hong Kong, South Korea. Actually, the biggest, you know, Emirates was doing about 3.47 billion. South Korea, 1.49 uh, million US dollars. 
Hong Kong 28.7K, and then uh, Philippines and, and the United States. All these people actually uh, are recipients of our gold. Yeah. yeah, they buy gold from Uganda. I want to be walking with my shoulders like this. <laughs> like, so what's in your country? We have coffee, we have, we have gold. Yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And Congo, I think Congo is also a very big place where people actually, um, they're very big on gold. It's one of their biggest yeah, that's true. natural resources. And they are neighbors. And uh, of recent, they've opened up a trade, DRC trade with Uganda. Mm. And uh, we, we have a border point in Pondwe, mm. which is due for opening about three months from now. Yes. So I imagine that there's going to be a lot. And uh, Uganda has opted to actually do the roads to ease doing business with DRC. So we are like opening that. up ma yeah. that market line yes. to also improve goods and services, even for uh, natural resources like gold. Okay. Yes. So... I don't even know what to ask after this because I'm still <laughs> I'm still overwhelmed. <laughs> right. But I'm so glad. So what do we do to make the most of this? I think we can... By the way, we have a lot of minerals. It's not just gold. Yeah. So on the industrialization agenda and uh, the whole thing about... And I like the way government is actually looking at all sectors. Yes. For industrialization and processing uh, resources like uh, minerals as well as uh, soft resources like fruits and vegetables and agriculture yeah. produce. So what government has done, for example, on agriculture side, is to, to introduce the parish development model. Yes. That one is a very important program of government, and it is supporting, supported by the agriculture industry innovations and programs that government is deploying, as well as now the industrialization. So what we really need to do is to, for us as government, enable those industries to grow mm -hmm. by enabling them and giving them good services. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So so for me, it's a, it's a, it's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. If we are going to support those industries, we provide the industrial parks. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last time we were discussing in, in, uh, in Barara, we were thinking of introducing the turnkey industrial parks mm -hmm. where, you know, the investors come in, they find a ready park, which is ready with a setup. You just bring your machinery and uh, you pro we're providing you with the credit facilities. If banks can partner or the financial services can partner with the industry, they give the investor a, 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 an environment which is ready to use. Yeah. And that can actually drive uh, innovations. And some of these are private equity and they're Ugandans. They yeah. team up, they do a consortium of funding. And uh, they can actually fund some of these innovations in Uganda. So yeah, the mobilization of funds to drive industry mm -hmm. and small MSMEs, that is the best. Mm -hmm. And also removing artisans like these, um, um, one, the ones in Zambia. Mm -hmm. Some people actually go there and pick all these sofas and uh, furniture and put on labels coming from other countries and sell them at 10 times the price. <laughs> so if we get these people from Zambia who are doing all this furniture and wood, and put them in an industrial park where they can actually apply themselves and um, export proud, them. Uh, yes, uh, and we zone them out as export zones. Yeah. These people can actually sell their furniture abroad and it competes against the Chinese furniture coming in. Yeah. We just need to organize ourselves in a way that works uh, for the lower Ugandan. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. That is, uh, that is advice that I think we all need. And uh, as you spoke, you said something about the parish development model. Our hot cake as a country at the moment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is the role of MTIC, the Ministry of Trade, in the Paris Development Model? Yeah, so um, government is delivering together 
on this parish development model. Every single ministry, MDA, they all have something to do. Mm. And uh, for the Ministry of Trade mainly, for example, uh, Pillar 1, it's got seven pillars, that model. Mm -hmm. And it's based on a parish and it's based on a homestead uh, and, and a household in a local community within a parish. Yeah. So it's just geared and pointing to giving them some money which will allow them to produce, but to produce for local markets as well as uh, external markets. Yes. So if, uh, for example, for us here, we need to register these circles because this money is actually being given through circles. So if you look at now Pillar 1, what is being produced? What is being produced is really coming from agriculture, yeah. production, True. even cooperatives. and. Um, once the agriculture have done their bit, we now do the warehousing, if it is food security or transportation. If it is, uh, say, for example, production of fish or whatever, we can actually provide freezer units to, yes, so that even if it's milk preservation, so that it can stay and it's sellable yeah. and removing uh, cytophants yeah. for some of this agricultural production. Now, once once we do the what? Cytophants. That's a, um, anything that is uh, in hygienic oh, for food. Thank you. Uh, you clean it, <laughs> cleaning the food and uh, making it uh, edible. Yes. And also making sure that it attains certain standards. Yeah. Uh, the, the barcodes that I was talking about, they actually give standards. Yes. Yes. Okay. So it, it tells you that this food has actually been processed to a certain standard. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, so once you've met, you've met those standards, for us now, it's very easy to store that food, transport that food through our border points, wherever, if people are actually are taking this food out and to, to sell it through our export promotion. Okay. So for the standards, we use UNBS. So that is pillar one, mm -hmm. storage, processing, and marketing. Yeah. So that is the first one. And then we have other pillars where we are contributing, okay. of course, because as I said to you, we are doing uh, the infrastructure. Yeah. So that infrastructure is the warehousing under the Uganda Warehouse uh, Authority, which is looking at warehouses across uh, the region, because Uganda also owns warehouses uh, like in Kenya, where we, we actually export food. So the local warehouses together with those, uh, those outside the country, we regulate and uh, make sure that we are storing uh, safely yeah. and, and regulating food security. Okay. Even for the um, immigration community, we have a lot of uh, people uh, coming from other countries mm -hmm where where they they, they come and uh, we we actually store for them food so refugees is what i mean yes i i, I, I understood I, 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 I don't want to use the word, the word but you know yeah. it has some stigma that comes with it but yeah. uh, we we do a lot of food storage even for refugees yeah. uh, so that government of uganda is able to to regulate and, and provide food for those refugee centers and stuff like that it's very big yeah. in the prime minister's office there's a whole program of that mm. and uh the, the warehouses actually plays a very big role across the country for these programs. Actually, even uh, the UN. Yeah, actually, uh, the right honourable Nabanza takes that issue very seriously. It's, it's a very serious issue. Yeah, that's why I'm telling you that that we are. It's a collective delivery of the program. Yes, and then of course, uh, something to do with circles and uh, monitoring and evaluation of their performance. Yes, which is where your software comes in. Yes. So we have 11,954 parishes yes. that are going to be delivering this parish development model to, to improve the cash economies, bring people into middle income status, at least uh, so that they are able to earn an income for them to provide the basics of life, the education, 
under medical services. Medical services. Exactly. So if we have some of these, we want to see how, you know, one year down the line, how have these uh, circles performed in terms of delivering the financial services and the financial support on the ground within the parish to drive this agenda. So we shall be monitoring and evaluating with the help of your uh, digitalization. PDMIS, by the way, our system is the ideal mbega ground. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, we are on so ground all the enterprises that are going to be profiled by the Ministry of uh, Agriculture, uh, yeah. all that is going to be coming uh, into our uh, monitoring and evaluation system because we actually the resident custodians of circles yes. within government. Mm. So that is it, uh, more or less. Mm. That's our role. You guys are doing so. You're doing well. You're you're, you're here and there and what you like. Yeah, yeah. We're doing the <laughs> registrations as well. Yeah. So, so that's pillar one, two, and three. And yeah. it's like we're finding ourselves on almost every pillar, but mainly the lead ones are one, two, and four. You guys must be on yeah. a speed dial, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and seven as well. And se- yeah. yeah. Okay. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, and we also have the database for all the circles. We should just give you the parish model. <laughs> we retire. We leave it for Ministry of Trade. Well, no, we we can't actually do it alone. Yeah, we we can't actually. That's true. So the the, the key to the success of this um, model is the collaboration ability of government. True. It's going to test our ability to collaborate to deliver service collectively. Yes. And on and you know just to just as this is just for your information. The Ministry of ICT and National Guidance. We are sorry, we, we work in cooperation all the time. So, and also our PS always says we work better together. Uh, yeah. So always. now, as a whole government, mm-hmm. we're going to do well. You're going to do well. We are going to do well, people. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as we move uh, closer to the end of this podcast, a stroke episode, what word do you have for different innovators to the young people out there and citizens at large? You know what? Um, for me, it, this actually goes very deep Ooh, uh-huh. because um, as a country, we have a lot of potential, but we have to organize ourselves strategically in a way that can work for us. Now, I start with the education systems that we have for both uh, formal education, tertiary education and everything. There are systems that were left by our colonizers behind, but mainly there are formal in such a way that we do a lot of crumb work and we produce job seekers. We have to re-engineer ourselves into education systems and skilling systems that point to entrepreneurs. And, we, and, and if you look at uh, the, the, the general uh, the index on entrepreneurship in, in Africa, yes. Uganda is like, is like the 28th best country in entrepreneurship. It's called the GEM index. Yes. And um, th- that shows that Ugandans actually, out of failing to get jobs, they are resorting to doing their own businesses. Yes. Now, the success is now the other thing. How do we manage to train these people to be able to succeed in these businesses that in the first year of formation of a business, they succeed? Yes. So, most, uh, so, so it's like um, 84% of our population uh, is actually uh, private sector small uh, medium, small and medium mm. enterprises, yes. which means that we must engineer ourselves to support these people. The only challenge we have is that we need to demystify things like taxation. So people think that once they formalize their businesses, that they will now start to pay taxes. So they fear, so they remain small. Mm. So you remain a small man index, a small man mentality, 
because you don't want to register your business. Uh, once you register it in URSB and you tender for business, uh, government tenders and everything, you'll have to pay taxes. Yes. And then you lose the opportunity in tapping into the big contracts mm. because you've decided to remain small deliberately. For the fear of the yes, unknown. For, for the fear of the unknown, the fear of paying taxes. No, paying taxes is good. Uh, if, if your business is profitable and you're going to make money and grow, you will have to, to pay taxes and formalize your business. The trick is in getting uh, marketing companies to help you market your goods and services to improve your uh, profitability as a business so that you can survive, tap into big business, uh, go global, yes. transcend boundaries. You cannot transcend bound boundaries when you're actually small. Yeah, but also, please let them know that taxes are used for schools, yes. for hospitals. Yes. Well, no, they know, but they, sometimes it's a mutual trust. It's a trust thing. So we okay. have to actually demystify some of these things. As government, we have a duty yes. to provide the enabling user-friendly environment so that young people can actually not fear taking advantage of these services and having the confidence to actually challenge where the services are not provided. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to actually get into that space. Okay. So it's mutual. Government has a duty to educate and sensitize and also provide the right education systems and skilling. Even private sector does a lot. Yes. And actually plays a bigger role than, than government because a lot of government schools and tertiary institutions have been introduced. So now there, once you have that, people will be encouraged to actually produce in themselves, give them information. Now, even the information portal, that's the other thing which I, I had missed. There is a, a trade portal which is provided. Yes. So people don't know about this one. It gives you information on where, what goods and services you can produce for what markets. Yes. The license is required. The kind of paperwork that you need. The, you know, it gives all that information for every sector, every product, every whatever is required. But people don't know about it. So as government, we have a duty to provide all this information. True. And then, of course, to sensitize people about it and get them to gain their confidence. So that is, for me, the way to go. Mm. There is no rich person who is an employee on the Forbes rich list. I've always said it. If you look at the top 100, top 1,000, top 10,000, nobody is an employee. Mm. Maybe Goldman Sachs. <laughs> but even then, those guys, they are not the richest in the world. The richest people in the world are entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yes. So we must get our people in there. There's someone in this room who is on the Forbes list. Really? I will show you the person when we are done here. <laughs> don't look, don't look. Is he married? <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you all those other things no, later, that, but there's someone. For that reason, I'm Miss Sally. Yeah, you're Miss <laughs> You're not Mrs. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke, yeah, but the, <laughs> the net worth yes. is your network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but also, thank you. That's very good advice. That's very good advice. And young people need to embrace all these things that I also, are available. Much as I'm serving government, I also have my own small businesses and I pay taxes. Yeah? Yes, I pay taxes. And that's the only way I had to grow because I had to now tender for business. Yes. You have to do the registrations. You have to show that you've been in business and, and you've been filing uh, your returns on, an, on a regular basis. And it's moving. So even if I left uh, work, I'm not so frightened about, you know, I'm just going to start up. Yeah. yeah I'll just slowly just sort of jump into my little business and pick it up. Yes. See? And it provides you security and a safety net. Mm. Yes. Even the permanent secretary of Ministry of Trade pays the 
taxes. This is nice. Yes, I do. I'm also going to start a business. My business has, has been a side hustle. <laughs> you, do a side, you do a side hustle. We encourage that. I, I do. I do cash payments only. Yeah. No, I'm joking. You know, it's I'm like I am the chairperson of the Gaza Old Girls Association as well. Mm, and girl. so we have this program of a uh, hundred girls, a hundred hustles. Yes, it's promoting all the girls who are actually doing. Uh, you know, their own businesses alongside or whatever they are working. Yeah. And some of them are actually doing only those businesses and they are successful. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. As a high school, you're going to pay for ad space. <laughs> 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 but also, as we come to an end, what's your favorite song? I don't have a favorite song. Okay, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> um, favorite movie, um, John Travolta has got Swordfish. That movie, I can actually watch it over and over. Yeah. Over with Halle Berry and Starring those two, it is, it is amazing. Wow. You're actually a very cool person. And for that reason, I'm going to but let you But for the song, go. Yeah. it's mainly Andre Bocelli, The Sun. Oh, actually. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. You're really cool. You're really cool, guys. <laughs> Certified. <laughs> but anyway, I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but we have come to the end of this podcast. Are you sad? No, well, no. Nah. I, I can always come back. Oh, yeah. I have a lot because I, I have to update people on how we've moved. Yes. Yes. So if one year in, I'll have to come in and tell you, you know, how we did on the PDM, parish <laughs> development model. Oh, yes. I have to come in and tell you how we've uh, moved on Bubu. There are so many other government programs that we are doing at uh, Trade. Yes. I have to come and, and tell you how the smart trade went. Oh, with yeah. Kenya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we are signing, uh, you know, MOUs with them. So you've been giving us more intel. Yes. We're going to keep you, but now we, we I have to come back. Yeah, but thank yeah. you for joining us today. It has really been exciting and so much fun and great. There has been so much to learn. Yeah. And I hope everyone takes it with, with a piece of uh, enthusiasm yeah. and use this information for their good. Uh, next, we're going to have a poem by Enjo Kavera, uh, and it's about uh, Njabala. It's a very nice poem. When you listen to it, you'll get the intel. And uh, I've been your host. My name is Brandy Azire Valentine. What are your handles so that people can follow you? No stalking, just following. Uh, uh, Twitter handles. Yeah. No, I think I have uh, Geraldine Sally. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So you can find her there and communicate some more. Yeah. And uh, we've been your people today. Enjoy. Share this podcast with your next person or anyone or your people in your WhatsApp groups and your socials. Let it go far and wide so that we can spread all this knowledge to everyone who needs it. Peace. For God and my country. Bye. Spare yourself some time And listen, listen to my Once upon a time Down by the river we go Tolin Sanza Mokon Jabala Abakazi Bali Mabati This is how you dig deep and with grace planting seeds of elegance years from now the gust of the wind and the branches of the trees will mention your name in all of the land in Javala you dig like you're making love to the earth 
becoming one with the richness of the soil you dig like the nourishment of your people lies in the palms of your hands because it does Tolin sansam konjabala abakazi bayera bati You pass the broom across all corners of the room in swift strokes of integrity. So when your husband returns from work, you will stand out from all the other three, but this goes beyond the confines of your compound and the four walls of your master bedroom. When I teach you how to sweep, I am teaching you how to lead. So years from now when you assume positions in government, become a so-called member of parliament there'll be no need to spend thousands of uganda shillings on anti-corruption bodies because my njavala she sweeps with integrity njavala abakazi bafumba bati your kitchen is an emblem of beauty In it you prepare continents of spices and serve a revolution for dinner. I choose you, Njabala, because you are the only one who can play with knives and not get cut. Only you can play with fire and never get burnt. What other leader is there to lead armies to victory? I choose you. Tolin sansamo kon Njabala. Abakazi